0: Welcome to Citizens Midweek, a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at some of the content from this last week's sermon. My name is Jacob Kirby. I'm your host. And today we are joined by our pastor, Tim Olson. Let's get started. This last Sunday, we continued on in our series through Ephesians. This week, in particular, we looked at Ephesians four one through sixteen, and basically we boiled it down to talking about how um, Paul is helping the church have the right expectations for the way that they relate to one another. And specifically, we mentioned how you know we as modern believers tend to you know accidentally or maybe thoughtlessly bring expectations to the table when it comes to how we relate to one another as believers and whether we do it on purpose or not, we let those expectations really affect the way that we relate to one another in ways that can be really harmful for us as believers sometimes. So we talked about four expectations specifically. The first one was that a lot of times we bring the expectation that everyone in the church should just kind of get along, that unity is going to be really easy. That could potentially lead to some really um explosive kind of fallouts when we don't expect conflict or when we don't expect to be you know, hurt by other people in our church. If we kind of forget that we're sinners and that being in, in positive relationships is hard. Um, and then the, the reality of that is that unity takes work that, you know, God calls us to work on maintaining unity, that it's not just something that's, um, going to happen on its own, but we have to really work as believers to maintain the unity that God has given us. The second expectation that we talked about was the expectation that my priorities should be everybody's priorities. So kind of just the unspoken expectation that the things that I care the most about as they kind of relate to my giftedness or my passions or the things that I enjoy doing, um, that those priorities that I have should be everybody in the church's priorities. Um, but the reality is, is that God gives everybody in the church different gifts, different people, different gifts. So the things that I'm excited and passionate about might not be the things that you're excited or passionate about. Um, And you're not necessarily doing something wrong to not be just as jazzed up about everything that I've ever been excited about. The third expectation was that ministry is something that church leaders do. Um, Kind of the expectation that the paid people do the ministry. And then the church people that aren't paid are just kind of there to participate as they see fit sometimes to kind of come along for the ride. But The Bible is pretty clear that ministry is something we all do. Specifically, Paul says that the ministers or the the pastors and the leaders equip the church for the work of ministry. Um, And the fourth expectation was that my growth is other people's responsibility, that we kind of come to the table as, as church members. I'm expecting other people to help us grow, to help us um, or maybe even to carry us through scenes of growth Um the other people are responsible for helping us move forward. But the reality is that everybody growing is everybody's job that when we enter into, you know, deep community and deep life together, we're all spring one another on towards love and good deeds. We're all helping push one another on towards love and holiness and godliness and us is a community project. So that was kind of a, you know, a quick recap. Um, I think for me, the, The most helpful one, or at least the most encouraging one for the season of life I'm in, is really that third one about ministries, not just something that leaders do, but something that we all do. (laughs) Um, Because I've walked through many different seasons and a lot of different contexts of being kind of on the leadership team, and always, you know, I love doing ministry. So for me, it was really easy to kind of take all of that on, but to recognize that our job as people that serve the church is to actually call and equip and disciple our people into doing ministry not just to take it on myself so it's a challenge for me as somebody that is in kind of quote unquote professional ministry that my job is much more about the people in our church than it is about the work of the church even so i thought that was really interesting what stood out to you tim as you were kind of preparing and getting ready for this week
1: yeah well first welcome back oh hey thanks you're welcome uh A couple of things stood out to me in particular. So, one is in verse two. So, Paul, you know, we talked about his shifting gears from the first three chapters where he's outlining who we are in Christ, what the gospel is, our identity in Jesus. And then, four through six, chapters four through six are all about now how do we live out that gospel identity. Mm -hmm. And I love that he starts in verse two by saying, you know, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. In other words, like, you're a Christian now, Jesus died for you, live like it. And then he says in verse 2, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And yeah. So the first thing he says that was needed for our unity within the church, but also for just Christian life is humility, patience, gentleness, and love. And yeah. that really stood out to me because I you know, as a leader, I'm tempted towards all of the opposite of those things, right? <laughs> Pride instead of humility. Right. Um, not hatred, but just like frustration yeah. instead of love. Um, just bitterness instead of gentleness. And I think just a hurried spirit right. instead of patience. And so that was convicting for me, even as I was thinking about this passage of, okay, do these aspects define who I am? And even thinking about, you know, coming up this fall, we're preaching on the fruit of the spirit. And how these are all aspects of the Spirit um, and fruit that the Spirit develops within us. And so even the next thing Paul says in verse 3 is to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so our unity, our diligence to preserve unity requires us to be people of humility, patience, love, tenderness, gentleness, all of that. The second thing that stuck out to me was... It was honestly a last-minute add-in. Like a Sunday morning type of thing. But that 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 bit at the end that we talked about, um, about the idea of the fictional church, not letting the fictional church in your head keep you from the tangible church in your life. And that was just a big conviction point for me reading that article that I mentioned in the sermon. And I think one of the temptations is not just letting the fictional church in your head keep you from the tangible church in your life, but keeping the tangible church 3,000 miles away from getting in right. between you and the tangible church in your uh, life. And I yeah. think I'm really guilty of that a lot. Um, you know, I run in church planning world. And so I have right. a lot of friends who are planning churches all across the country yeah. in different stages and different contexts with uh, different numbers of people and different amounts of money and different... Just all everything different, right? Different yeah. gifts Then I have all of that. And one of the things that's tangibly can be a temptation for me in in my personal life is to play the comparison game with those friends, right? Mm -hmm. Because we want to cheer each other on. In ministry, we want to support each other. We want each other to, to flourish and to see God reach people with the good news of the gospel. But there's also gonna be this temptation of, okay, we're, you know, one year old is a church and right. this church and you know, who knows where is one <laughs> year old as a church, you know, they got, they look awesome. Like, and yeah. sometimes those churches, we can curate our social media presence right. and our online presence, just like we do and with our lives. Goodness. And so I, you know, I see all these awesome initiatives and <laughs> studies and classes and cool, you know, justice projects they're doing in their city. And it's like, man, I want to do that. And it can just keep right. this idea of this uh, fictional, church or this actual church far away from impacting the church right in front of me and I think we can do that as Christians with you know God's gift of how many resources yeah. and connections to like It is an unfathomable world 100 years ago to be able to, at any minute, pull up a video sermon from a church 3,000 miles away and be fed God's word. It's a gift and we should take advantage of those resources and podcasts and videos and books. And there's so much good Christian content out there. But what can happen is we can begin to equate the good Christian content we're getting right. from a church with, well, that church is perfect. Right. They have no problems. Their social media looks awesome. It looks like everybody's good. Right. That pastor's great. And so obviously his church is nothing but a great vibe, right. whatever. And then that can keep us from the real tangible sinners that right. God has put in our actual lives and in our actual church. Sometimes we have people in our church
0: that don't even know all of the good and bad things happening within our own context, but we kind of have this, you know, because of the digital yeah, yeah, yeah. age. We've got pastors that we really love and respect their teaching that are so like they don't even know you exist. Yeah. But you, you know, you don't even know all the good and bad happening in your own congregation, but you think that you found the perfect church in a different state. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, everybody's just people trying to do life together, trying to be Jesus center family together. It's great that you have a pastor who's preaching you appreciate. And I certainly listen to sermons from other pastors, including our own, of course. But I don't know. It's just like I, I think we're being naive if we think we we can you know accurately judge somebody an entire congregation's you know life and godliness based
1: on their social media presence, right. their online. You know, and there's kind of that yeah. idea
0: of like, and I, this is it's. I've heard this in a very like, I think in a very businessy mindset, but it's kind of like in a social media age. Don't judge your um your gag reel for somebody's highlight reel, yeah, in the sense of like. People are only putting their best selves forward mm-hmm. on social media, um, including churches. And I don't think it's a bad thing. We want to highlight the good things God's doing, but like you don't actually know deeply the life blood of a church far away. Listen to good sermons and stuff, but like God's put you in a specific context, a specific place in a specific season to participate here.
1: <laughs> And you're here because this is where God has for you to be. Well, I remember even having a specific conversation with a really good friend of mine who's in, a, in the planting season as well. They're about a year or two ahead of us. And just seeing like, hey, dude, it seems like things are going awesome. Like <laughs> based on what y'all are posting online, based on what you're saying, like it seems like things are <laughs> going really, us. really well. No, he, I said oh, okay, that to okay. him. Yeah, I said, hey, it seems like things are just going awesome. Like it just feels like y'all are crushing it. And I remember asking specifically about an initiative that they were doing uh, to serve their neighborhood. And that I thought it was like, online. hey, dude, that, yeah, that's all online. Yeah. I was like, that sounds awesome. Like tell me More about that, and just to hear as a really good friend of mine, him share his heart of like, actually, it's not going super great, Mm -hmm. and you know, not in like a gossipy way, but in just a care way of like, you know, we have this going on and this going on and this going on, and so it was encouraging for me um, not to hear about his struggles, but to hear about like, hey, this—it's so easy to get this figment in our imagination of what we are like. Oh, these other churches are crushing it. This is going. This is going. Whatever. Like, and to to compare the real right in front of us with the fictional or the personified or the best foot forward, like you were saying, that we all do with social media. And then we do that with our own lives, right? Right. Not just on a church level, but with our own lives. We compare our 24-7 with somebody else's post, right? And we think their post is reality. And then we go to live out our lives and we see all of the bad. And in comparison culture, And the comparison culture and the thief that that is to our joy, how easy it is to put up, like you were saying, all of our bad against one aspect of one person's good. And suddenly we disdain everything about our real lives, which kind of takes us
0: back to the whole idea of expectations versus reality of like, and we do this all the time in so many contexts. But now just to have this conversation reminding me that we do this for churches too, like you're really generous or I can be really generous in my assumptions about a different church (laughs) and then really overcritical about my assumptions about the church that I'm actually a part of. Um, And I just think that's something that we've got to really be careful of and repent of as we enter into actually doing life with one another. It's like your favorite preacher is not just leading the best church ever and your pastor or your church leaders or your community group leaders are not just failing. (laughs) (laughs) There's some, you know, there's always so much of yeah. you know, lots of dynamics there going on. Everything
1: is always worse than you think and better right. than you think. Right. Most likely, grass is not always greener, right. which is true in all aspects. Right. True of relationships, true of marriages, true of parenting, true of jobs. It's so yeah. easy to think, you know, I know the ins and outs and the bad of my job and my business yeah. and my coffee shop and my yeah. whatever, and then to think like, oh, the grass is greener over here. Like my business has these problems, or I hmm. work and where I'm a manager has these problems, but that business does not. And so yeah. I can just be a manager over there instead. Yeah. And then we get over there and we realize, oh, there's right. problems over here too, and this is also so broken and not okay and yeah. messed up and i think it's so much easier yeah to, to think that the grass is always greener and to not be content where the lord has rooted us yeah. in a whole variety of ways church is just one aspect of that because of our expectations right. and because of our faulty expectations and because of our unwillingness to come to terms with what about those expectations are good and what are not yeah yeah that's super helpful
0: So uh, what are we going to dive deep on today, Tim?
1: Yeah, so I thought we, you know, casual, just twenty minute podcast on the Trinity, no big deal. We're NBD. Already halfway over there. We're already halfway here. <laughs> <laughs> well, casual ten minute podcast on the <laughs> Trinity. NBD. This is a long. This is for your long commute. This is yeah, not this short yeah. conversational commute. This is a long commute. Uh, so I want to talk about the Trinity. So um, we are not going to say everything there is to say on the Trinity because books and well, books hey. and books and books have been written. Um, We were talking about this. Uh, I'm also going to be very careful to use specificity of (laughs) language. I think it was you and I that were talking about this, or it was somebody else. But they were saying, if you... Uh, talk about the Trinity long enough, you are probably going to end up saying something heretical, right. <laughs> right? Because there's just so much mystery yeah. to it. And you know, the Bible is, is clear in some ways and in some ways it's, it's a lot of mystery, right? Mm-hmm. How is God three in one and what does that mean? And if you try to deep dive into it, if you try to give a good illustration of it, chances are you're probably going to mess something yeah. up.
0: And every, every metaphor is always going to break down. It's like trying to nail water to a tree or mm-hmm. something. Like, yeah. But we'll do our best.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, the Trinity is here really clearly mm-hmm. in Ephesians four and it's in tons of other places in Ephesians. Ephesians. And so I just want to talk about it real quick and then talk a little bit about uh, Trinity big picture. So uh, in this passage, actually, let's go back to Ephesians 1. So Ephesians 1, we read about in that very first little section on the gospel, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working, right? So we're chosen or adopted by the Father. We're adopted, he says, through Christ, in Christ, that it's our union to him that makes us right with God. And then we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Examples of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Keep going. In Ephesians 1, verse 17... Paul writes, the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that he may give you the spirit, the Holy Spirit of revelation, father, son, and spirit right there in Ephesians 1.17. Fast forward, Ephesians 2.16, you have Paul writing that through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the father. So you have again, father, right? We have access to the father in the spirit through the son. And then you have Ephesians three, uh, where the Spirit is empowering. Right? Paul prays to the Father, and then the and then Christ dwells in our hearts. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit there again. And then you get to Ephesians four, where we talked about this past week, where he says in the midst of all of this unity, uh, he says one faith, one baptism. All of this, he says, one Lord, one Father, one Spirit. So again, you have this idea of God who is yeah. three persons, uh, but also yeah. one. And so uh, we believe in the Trinity that God is three distinct persons and yet one God. So we see this all the way back in Genesis 1, right? God, the Father is creating. And yet we know in John 1 that the word who is Jesus, right? Was with God, but also was God. And then you have the spirit of God, which is hovering over the waters, right? And so you have God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. God is three, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and yet he's one God, right? So the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. The Son is not the spirit and the spirit is not the son spirit is not the father. The father is not the spirit. And yet they are all God, right? One in three persons and already we're confused and already we're in the mystery of it, right? (laughs) How can God be one in three? Well, uh, part of it is because He's God, right? Part of it, we have to parse out, okay, so what is actually happening here, right? What does it mean that God the Son comes down to take on flesh and yet, does He separate from God the Father? Does He separate from God the Spirit, right? Theologians throughout history would say, no, there's there's still a oneness. There's still three persons and yet one. And so we try our best to come up with different ways of saying that, right? Well, okay, well, God is like... Uh, water, right? It's, it's one water, but there's different forms that he takes, right? It's like, God, the father is like steam. God, the son is like water and God, the spirit is like ice. But actually that's a heresy from the third century called modalism. Uh, that was renounced by a lot of church creeds and a lot of early church fathers. God does not appear or exist in different modes. Right. He has different persons, different personhood. Uh, okay, well, well then maybe it's not actually one, right? Maybe they're just three distinct and they make up kind of like a, um, uh, you know, it's three, and they're kind of like one, but it's like three. It's like the emphasis is on the three. Well, that's also a third-century heresy, right? Called tritheism—three gods. It's not three gods; it's one yeah, god. We're not—we're in... not polytheists here. Correct. Yeah, it's so it's one god in three persons. All right. Well, maybe uh, they're characterizations of God, right? Like God uh, has these. Aspects of him that are fatherly. He has these these aspects of him that are son-like. He has these aspects, these characters of him that are spirit. Well, that's another third-century heresy. It's called Sabellianism. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sabellianism and Sabellianism is the heresy that God has three characters within one. But it's no, it's three persons. They have distinct personhood. Okay, well, then what happens when God the the Son takes on flesh, right? When he comes down, when he incarnates into the earth, is that, you know, okay, so God, God the Father existed forever, but then he created God the Son, right? And then he sent him down to earth that, you know, God the Son is created by the Father. Well, that's another third century heresy uh, called Arianism, right? Yeah. And so there's just this consistency of like, okay, it's a mystery here that we're trying to press into, that we're trying to understand and to continually go back to God is three in one three persons one god right and there's re- so why does that matter for as we're kind of thinking about Paul's the unity piece here Ephesians 4 all of that well why this matters is because God in the the triune Godhead has always existed in perfect community. Yeah. Right. So I think there's this kind of false teaching of, well, God was really lonely, right? He had created this big earth and the whole reason why he created humans is because he wants somebody to share it with. He was lonely. He was sad. I need some humans that'll make me happy and I... How eccentric that sounds. Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. Fulfilling God's desire to not be lonely. 100%. (laughs) But God has always existed in community. Right. right? Jesus was not... God the Son was was not the first created being Jesus has always existed. In the beginning, the word was with God and yeah. the word was God. God. God the Father didn't at one time create God the yeah. Son, right? He's always existed yeah. before time began in a beautiful triune Godhead, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this reality that God exists in perfect community where the purpose of the Son is to glorify the Father. The purpose of the Spirit is to glorify the Father and the Son, right? And then the Son loves the Father and the Spirit and sends the Spirit. And so there's this beautiful kind of giving of glory and giving of admiration and affection and love that happens even within the Trinity where God himself doesn't need us because he's lonely, because he's always existed in this mystery of three and one in perfect community. And so what Paul says in Ephesians 4 is that that is the grounding for us living as relational beings. That when we're created in the image of God, part of why we're created relationally is because we're created in the image of a God who has always existed in perfect relationship. right? And so he says that we have one Lord, one Father, one Spirit. And so a part of our unity is the oneness of God. But a part of our unity is also the, the the threeness yeah. of God. Right? It's, it's in our
0: DNA to, to to desire and be fulfilled by relationships with other
1: image bearers. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not just, uh, oh, it's a good idea. Oh, community is a good thing for you. Community is a part of how we're designed, yeah, how we're wired. It. God in His perfect trinity created us to live in perfect yeah. unity. And so one of the beautiful pictures and why Christian unity is so much deeper than just uh, best friendship or right. we like each other or even deeper than the family of God, right. which is important. Mm-hmm. We are caught up in a very unique, special, mysterious way into the Trinity, right? Not like we become gods or any of that. That's also another heresy. (laughs) But that we get caught up into that love that has been given from the beginning of the world, right? That God gives love. God the Father gives love to the Spirit, to the Son, vice versa, all of that. And you guys can't... I'm realizing now that you guys can't see my hand motions. I'm making hand motions just for Jacob to show this and illustrate it. But we get caught up into that. And our way that we live in community reflects the beautiful community that is God in three persons. I do think I just find it interesting
0: kind of this Trinitarian idea was what we spent a lot of history of church debate on early on. Like it's like one of the first big debates that we had in the historical church, which is why you kept saying this is a third century heresy over and over again, because we really put a lot of thought into it at that point to try and come up with a unified kind of. Way of talking about it, and I just
1: find it. It interesting. is shocking if you go back and look at all almost every Trinitarian heresy. All of them go back to the third century. All of them go back to probably the Council of Trent or the Council of Nicaea, right? When Nicaea
0: was later, right? Uh, three twenty-five,
1: I believe. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, yeah.
0: But I was like, I just find it interesting that like in the three and four hundreds, we spend a lot of time trying to nail down a way of thinking about it, but the Bible just kind of almost assumes that that worldview, that headspace of like. I don't know. It's just interesting that the the Bible does not give as much um, language or thought behind expressly or explicitly naming that relationship that God has within Himself. But the patterns of it, like you said, are there from the beginning. And I'm even thinking about like throughout the Exodus, like they had the God of their forefathers, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they were led through the wilderness by the power of God as a spirit. <laughs> But also they you know had this portrait of a coming anointed messiah, you know who we know now is jesus but like it it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't scandalous or confusing it was it's just the way it's always been, and I appreciate that we've tried to put language behind it, but i just it it does strike me that like the Bible itself doesn't give much credit to the debate
1: necessarily. It just is that way. (laughs) Well, Jesus doesn't either. Right. right? So John, Jesus several times is like, I and the father are one. Like I'm in him. He's in me. If you're in me, you're in him. Right. Right. Like this idea of like even how we're caught up into the Trinity is this idea like Jesus says, like I abide in the father, Mm -hmm. right? I am in him. And if you're in me, right, if you're united to me, like we talked about the union with Christ, then you're united to the father as well. I think part of, you know, if you go back and read church history, which is we would agree. a lost. As we all do. a lost. Well, <laughs> as, we, as we jokingly say, none of us do, uh, but as we should, yeah. right? And, and just to get some perspective on like, not, there's nothing new under the sun and we're right. dealing with stuff we've been dealing with for thousands of years as Christians. Um, but one of the things that they're really wrestling with in these Trinitarian doctrines in the second and third centuries is what do you do with Jesus? Right. Right? Like most of the reason why they got to settle the Trinity is not because they're worried right. about the spirit or because they're worried right. about the father. It's because what do you do with Jesus? Yeah. Like, what do you do with the God, most contentious God, figure? <laughs> God taking, on flesh yeah. right like okay and that was uh, Arius right who was, right. was guilty of a ton of these heresies that yeah. they were just like hey we got <laughs> to figure out this dude Um that was what he was wrestling with like he didn't set out to go you know what I really hate Jesus I'm going to prove yeah, him wrong right. he set out to go hey Jesus if he's God God died yeah and if he's not God how can he forgive sins right which is a great, Good, question, great question to, to wrestle with and he, he didn't and you know he landed in the wrong spot and he landed in a way that Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in this one council in the third century agreed with, and then now thousands and millions of believers have have also agreed with. Is like, well, he is fully God, and God also died, but then he also rose again. But he was wrestling with, what do you do with Jesus? Right, because if Jesus is not God then you got problems. If he's not man, then you got problems, right? You need both, right? He has to be fully man so that he understands our suffering. So he's actually tempted so that he actually physically died. It wasn't, you know, one of the early church heresies was that Jesus was just in the form of a man, right? He just kind of floated around appearing like a man, but he wasn't actually a man that messes up. The humanity of Jesus is a a necessary doctrine for salvation, but so is the Godhood of Mm -hmm. Jesus, right? He also has to be fully God because if he's not fully man, he can't die right. for our sins. And if he's not fully God, he can't die for our sins. Yeah. Right. And so I think, you know, I, I love that the church wrestled with this and came to blows over this and was willing to fight for this because it's, what do you do with Jesus matters for everything, yeah. <laughs> and right. so you know, for us, it's easy to be like the Trinity's a mystery. Got them three in persons, yeah. Let's move on. Right, uh, you know, we're not going to understand it, so let's talk about the practical stuff. But to the early church, this was yeah. the practical stuff. If you don't have Jesus, what do you have? We're beneficiaries of the fact that people, yeah. kind of you know threw hands about this a long time ago. Yeah, and for them, it's like, hey, this matters for everything. Like, if Jesus isn't God, do we worship him? If he's the first created being, do we worship him? If he is not fully man. How do we worship? Like this mattered and still matters right. for the practical implications of how we approach God, how we pray, how we worship, what we say, how we think about Jesus, the son. And so, yeah, I think it, it's just like, I'm glad they do t- out, you know, 200 years after yeah. Jesus came because we got to settle some stuff. It helps us now go, okay, we stand on, the biblical foundation right. the tradition of the church and we we ground ourselves in no god is three in one yeah. and that matters in profound ways right. for our relationship to god Uh, anything else, Tim, you want to bring up? Yeah. Hopefully, if you're listening to this before May 8th, this Saturday, May 8th, we're doing uh, a work day and a prayer and worship night at our new ministry center slash office spaces. Uh, this is a spot on the east side of Charlotte that we're really excited about to kind of root ourselves long term on the east side of Charlotte. Um, and so yeah, we're really excited about this. We got some painting and some landscaping and some cleaning and stuff we have to do. So we'd love your help. You can find out more on our website, com. Um, You can register for the workday. And then that night at five, uh, we're going to spend 45 minutes to an hour just praying, seeking the Lord on behalf of the new space that he'd be glorified through what we do there, that his spirit would dwell among us in that space. And um, yeah, just really excited time to pray and to seek the Lord and to worship together, thanking him even for his provision of a space that we can call our home for a little bit.
0: be great. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. All right, well, that's all we have time for today. So uh, thanks for joining us, Tim. We'll see you next time.